This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. And we are back in the dark room. Uh, I am Brad Kelly. This is Kevin Kautzman. Kevin is holding up our mascot. What is this guy's name? Louis the Larry Latte? The Lot- Larry, Larry the Latte. Larry the Latte. <laughs> Larry the Latte. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This yeah, podcast is powered by uh, stuffed animals, coffee, and the Word. discourse. And the mud discourse. <laughs> mud discourse. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, for people who haven't tuned in before, uh, a dark room episode is where we uh, we sort of return to the scene of a crime. We 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 go back and further develop our ideas on a subject that we have done the deep dive on. Some of these subjects, uh, the the wealth of information and interpretation and historical context is bottomless. Um, and in this case, we're talking about Edgar Allan Poe. There is no end to how much Poe one can talk, frankly. Uh, and in the darkroom format, we bring in um, a special guest who, you know, has some uh, has some particular insights, maybe some some uh, some thoughts that that we're not aware of. Somebody who can help us understand our subject more. Kevin and I, we do our best, but you know, we're 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 just a couple of we're just a couple of boys from the Midwest. We you know we barely just know what couple, we're talking about. Just a couple <laughs> of Poe boys. <laughs> that's right. That's we're, right. We're going to keep talking yeah. about Poe until Wallabet comes on. That's there the, you go. That's Ooh, the plan. That'd be, that'd be great. Um, so uh, to that. <laughs> and we have brought back uh, a, a much returned guest uh, one of my favorite people to have on the show has been with us you know since nobody listened to art of darkness so that's really cool um and he, that's... he was he was one of the he was one of the first 20 listeners yeah, i think I'm that's sure. probably true yeah <laughs> i i may have been, i definitely like i listened to the first podcast i listened to the burroughs podcast okay. you guys yeah. have so much yeah. when it was released that you yeah. have so much chagrin over um great job yeah. on the on the redux by oh, the way thanks yeah appreciate yeah, that appreciate it. that yeah so that's the that's the that's the voice of aldous Asterian, the mastermind behind the fantastic uh forest of symbols podcast if you like art of darkness you will like forest of symbols i guarantee it and you know maybe we'll talk a little bit about that um uh so first off aldous how you doing man it's been a little while i can't remember i'm what you doing were good well it was borges and i can't believe right. it's been nearly a year next right. m- about a month from now it'll be a year since we did that episode unbelievable yeah. wild yeah 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 that was a, that and, was a great one yeah mm-hmm. and uh i also i was supposed to have a like a like a four-hour forest of symbols that i was gonna promote uh it, sh- it should have been done but uh my laptop died i've gone computerless for the last two weeks so i'm on a brand new laptop today so you know uh it's coming Okay. Okay. No, when, when that, when that drops, you know, we'll definitely promote that. And if, and you know, we can find another reason for you to come back on for sure. So, um, I could honestly probably do something on like 
eighty percent of your subjects. I know, I know. That's really? what that's what that's what's so good about this. Um, yeah. So uh, we're gonna get into Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, the one thing I, I got thinking about about you, Aldous, when we were doing this, is as I was getting when we were doing our core episode on Poe. When I began to realize that um, not only was Poe sort of interesting and you know important, whatever that means, but that literally the DNA of American storytelling is is Poe. Poe is like the Genghis Khan of American storytelling. He's just a, there's a little bit of him in every in everybody. Um, and as I know you, are, <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just, I, I know you're, I know you're, uh, you're uh, very patriotic, at least in terms of American letters. I kind of wondered what your your thoughts, just generally, before we get into some specific specifics. How does Poe sit in American literature? Well, you're right. I mean, he is really one of the most important um, figures. Uh, He's part of the whole American Renaissance, mid-19th century thing. I mean, you, you, you have to talk about him, but he kind of stands like apart in some ways. He's not a, he's not a transcendentalist, although he kind of did some things that were like, he was constantly ragging on the transcendentalists, you know, Emerson Whitman and so on. Um, although uh, when you will get into Eureka later, he kind of flirted with some ideas that were kind of transcendentalist. Um, and yeah, it seems like uh, you need to take a stance on him one way or the other. Um, uh, Henry James said, I don't have the exact quote, but you know, he basically laid down a line that's kind of dogged Poe among critics for a long time that basically an, an affection for Poe is like the sign of like an immature mind or like stunted development or something like that. Right. right. Um but then, and, and T.S. Eliot, um, these are American modernist writers who are kind of like half American, half English in a lot of ways. Um, and so they didn't have the, um, like that pure American patriotism the way I and you boys have, you know. Um, but, you know, Eliot said that basically reiterated what Henry James thought, but then also added like a little asterisk that one can never be too sure that one hasn't been influenced by Poe nevertheless. And mm. I think that that's got to be true. Um, he's just uh, he, he sort of forms the, the background of, of so many things and um, just vastly influential, not just in literature, even. And not just in American literature, obviously, he, he took off hugely in France as the result of, of Baudelaire's, um, I mean, Baudelaire hailed him as his, his master, you know, mm -hmm. um, he, Baudelaire translated Poe, um, and, and he really set off the symbolist movement there. Right. And um, so even my podcast, The Forest of Symbols, I take my title from a Baudelaire poem called Correspondences. Um, and so that even is indirect, indirectly comes from Poe. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, there's been, uh, there's been, in a way, Poe is ubiquitous, but I think he's also like, uh, like his own purloined letter sort of hidden in plain sight in a way that everybody knows him. And yet I feel like he's missed, he's not understood and not appreciated. And, and in some ways, uh, you, you've dealt with some other people who are probably victim of the same thing of the American school curriculum. I think Fitzgerald mm -hmm. probably fits into that mm -hmm. of uh, you get assigned it in like 
you know, eighth grade or whatever. And so for kids, it's often something that teachers are pushing on you. And so it's not that cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, for, you know, people who are trying to be more highbrow, it's some, it's like kid stuff, right? These like spooky stories, you know, there's like the, the goth, uh, late romantic, woe is me kind of, uh, uh, poetry, but, um, and also, uh, one of my favorite critics, unfortunately, uh, Harold Bloom, I, I love Bloom, but he was always ragging on Poe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got, I got some, some quotes. Um, uh, Bloom said, Poe induced nasty and repetitious nightmares that linger even now. Poe is a great fantasist whose thoughts were commonplace and whose metaphors are dead. Um, now, I don't think that's really uh, fair. I mean, I think Bloom came by his dis taste honestly i think there's kind of like a some sort of gut reaction there um but um on the other hand you have uh bloom's mentor northrop fry um and i I don't know if you guys are familiar with fry Mm -hmm. very much but people should read um anatomy of criticism um it's really one of the greatest books of all time um but fry had a different evaluation of poe um and he kind of addressed the the uh, the James uh, judgment on Poe. He said, there have been no lack of people to say that Poe is fit only for immature minds, yet Poe was the major influence on one of the subtlest schools of poetry that literature has ever seen. And he's talking about the French symbolists there, right, um, right. most likely. Um, he goes on, the greatest literary genius this side of Blake is Edgar Allan Poe. That's why he's regarded as fit for only adolescents or French poets who don't really know English. I don't apply this to the poetry, but there's no prose tale, however silly, that doesn't hit an archetype in the bullseye. Mm -hmm. I think that's really one of the key things to Poe is that somehow, um, I think he was really one of the first great psychological writers. I mean, obviously, I think Shakespeare had a great insight into the human soul, but Poe seemed to zero in on aspects of the psyche that um, people don't really want to think about, didn't in their time and, and don't now. And um, he, he, just like Fry says, he, he, he nails the, the archetypal uh, realm of the human. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all great stuff. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, having that influence on the symbolists, but also, so having, having influence in, you know, sort of a highbrow fashion we might think of, but also having an influence on uh, the pulp renaissance in America, uh, a very like not even a not even a subtle influence, a direct influence on what Lovecraft and and that whole sort of weird tales pe- folks were doing. But then also noir, that the influence he has on, on noir, he's there are few figures I feel like who can you can say have an influence at these different. Um, sort of registers uh, somebody like Shakespeare you could uh, but there's not a whole lot of people who are sort of like you know uh, are the most high uh, have influences on some of the most you know highfalutin writers and also like uh, people who are writing uh, cop thrillers for t- TV right now yeah um, it's that that's where it seems like oh my god I and literally since doing that episode every time we turn something on TV I'm like oh well this is this is basically the grandchildren of Poe writing this 
or trying yeah. to, you know. Yeah. Well, he he invented the detective story it's almost so whole cloth. Um, <laughs> I mean, nothing comes from nothing. There are always mm-hmm. predecessors, but his Dupin stories set the archetype of that, you know, uh, intellectual problem solving. Uh, he called it ratiocination, um, kind of mystery solving sort of guy. And if you, I mean, boy, like, talk about, you know, like underappreciated, like uh, no character in that genre is more well-known than Sherlock Holmes, but Sherlock Mm -hmm. Holmes is essentially a ripoff of Dupin. I mean, he really is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, and then there's all these sort of knockoffs of Sherlock Holmes, right? It's, it's not even, it's, it's not even, it's not even really a knockoff. It's, it's just a deep, it's an archetype. It's a deep archetype that Poe identified and is clearly resonates with, you know, people forever. Yeah, yeah, and the detective is always uh, well, not always, but I mean, it seems to me to be symbolic of kind of the dialectic itself, right? So there's deep philosophical meaning inside this fun format, which yeah. peaked oh, yeah. during True Detective season one, the greatest season of television that's ever season been, four, been made. Season four, season season one, bro. Oh, season oh, oh. one. Uh, <laughs> season four is not canon, and I will stand by that. But yeah, Aldis, what were you what were you going to say? I don't know, but I was going to ask if you got. What do you guys think about this? I feel like uh, True Detective is, uh, and of course Lovecraft, as you said, is in the Poe tradition. But I feel like mm-hmm. if True Detective is is Lovecraftian, um, something like Hannibal is more like Poe. Like I think that's probably true. It's it's a, a little bit more um, directly grotesque and body horror. Um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I mean, and true. then by extension that uh, Dexter, Dexter's very mm-hmm. po, mm-hmm. uh, in a, in a way fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think, I think so. Yeah. It's a, yeah. what I know I mean, about Dexter. Bit more of really a, watched bit it. more of a wink. Yeah. A bit of a yeah. wink. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Now, I, I want to talk about another thing that, uh, another figure and sort of almost school of thought that Poe had an influence on. And this is the, Edgar Allan Poe to Marshall McLuhan uh, sort of lineage, specifically focused on uh, McLuhan. You clued, clued us into this, and in you know, talking as we were leading into this uh, conversation about how consistently and regularly McLuhan referenced uh, descent in, uh, Poe's story, Descent into the Maelstrom, and sort of how much that story meant to McLuhan's thinking. What like let's let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So uh Descent in the Mail into the Maelstrom, um a story that is is actually kind of considered like um sort of proto science fiction also. Um he uh it's the story of um a, a couple of sailors who are brothers who get caught into like a vast vortex in the sea they're actually driven there by like a hurricane into, so they're trying to escape this it's you know Scylla and Charybdis you know they they escape the hurricane by getting uh, going into this vortex this big swirling funnel in the middle of the sea that uh, becomes as they go in there it becomes very weird it gets dark and and um it's starting to pull objects off the ship and into the 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 black chasm below and um one of the brothers uh, sort of loses it he goes mad he is not able to be saved but the one that survives um does so by uh when he when he gazes into the abyss uh 
he he finds and this is almost like a pitch perfect like definition of the sublime he is so awed by it that he loses his fear in a way and it's replaced by uh, a fascination and and with that fascination he's able to observe uh to not panic and to observe how it behaves and he notices that it pulls in heavy things of course but that uh spherical objects seem to um fall faster and that uh cylindrical objects are able to uh not only not be pulled down but to even to be able to ascend back up so um he lashes himself to a barrel and he's able to survive that way and so uh what McLuhan saw in this was um the attitude that he wanted to take and that he thought people should take in order to survive the onslaught of media um in the modern world which he compared to a, a maelstrom it's this this swirling thing around us it's like it's like sucking everything in um and the the only way really to survive that would be to develop that kind of to replace fear with that kind of fascination mm-hmm. um and obviously i think this i think this could go potentially very wrong um but sure. it, th- there is a way in which just like if you're in a vortex you can't just like you know, brute force your way out of it. Um, I think in the same way, it's becoming increasingly difficult to be uh, off the grid, um, to be, uh, to not, you know, to not know. And they're making it harder and harder to touch grass, I guess I'll I'll put it that way. Yeah, no, there, Um, and there are things you used to be able to do to stay outside of it a little bit that don't work anymore, it seems. Yeah, for sure. Sure, and even if you do achieve it, I mean, the, as it becomes more and more and more invasive upon your neighbors, it you're interwoven into this this matrix of delusion and right. uh, fractured reality, right? You can't, and then you got to, and then you have children. Well, what are they? What are they going to do? We can't all be Amish. I, I suppose right. we can. Yeah, uh, but but then there we, gets to be never, the, yeah, there gets to be the only way to step away from the maelstrom is to like step into another maelstrom of like isolation and insanity. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like we, you can either yeah. you can either fall into the maelstrom or have no friends and never talk to anybody. Right? There's sort of like a yeah. It would it would really be a bad idea for a podcast to start encouraging its listeners to become Luddites. <laughs> I always the yeah. phrase I always use is sort of the in it but not of it. Mm. In it but yeah. not of it. There's a fine line. Well, yeah. and, and yeah. that's sort of what I think McLuhan in a way is McLuhan is saying is if you can you there there is something like don't panic, pay attention, kind of as a yes. as a as a rule uh, as a an er strategy for surviving chaos, um, whether that's, you know, physically in a maelstrom or, you know, in the most insane information, chaotic time of, uh, of human history. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to say about regard to the podcast thing I've, I've yeah. joked about and fantasized for years about turning the forest of symbols into something that I record onto cassette tapes and then yeah. mail to people. <laughs> we talked about no this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I love that idea. I love that idea. Like an ultra rare podcast episode that's only on eight track. Uh, something like that would be so cool. We could press a handsome vinyl, I think, right? With the whole liner notes and everything. Absolutely. That would be great. Be I'll really tell you fun. one thing that I am doing uh, in the coming year. I've decided this is that I'm I'm starting to I'm going back to paper and pen for taking my notes. 
for the show. Very cool. Very and cool. I'm going to fill up notebooks. I'm tired of doing it on my phone because you I like that again, getting sucked into the maelstrom, uh, you know, this little black box that I have, like I'm, I'm reading books and I'm making notes on my notes app and I just check Twitter for no reason. Yep. You know, it's just stupid. I'm sick of it. I get nothing out of it. And then, so then I actually have something that like, I, I have like a physical object that even something else could be made out of it too. I could give that to my son, you know, right, or whatever. Right. I could auction it off to yeah. Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Or something yeah. Like right. that. I don't and, know. And, yeah. You put this stuff all digitally. It's all, it's all ephemeral. It's all, yeah. even if the file exists, you know, I, I've always been, I've always been startled when you look at all your word documents, how many megabytes they are. You know, I got a lot of Word documents and Oof. things, and it's Oof. like nothing. It's nothing. It all yeah, adds up yeah. to like one music CD worth of data yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I'm actually working on a horror radio play type thing right now for Dark Pony Radio uh, with friend of the show, Abby Lucas. And one thing that we've been thinking a lot about lately is, and that'll come out later this year, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and this is so cool. We're thinking, and I'm going to, maybe I should read some Poe. I should probably read some more Poe to think about sort of like horror. Uh, yeah. I mean, in that group, if you check out Dark Pony Radio, they're obviously influenced by Lovecraft Poe, that whole world. Um, but this idea that like online, we're all tulpas, right? Like <laughs> I've spent right. I, now at this point, I've spent more time with digital Brad than, mm -hmm. than real Brad. I, yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah. It's really, yeah. yeah, it's something to like, it's kind of makes you queasy. Like the bottom falls out if you're just willing to turn the knob to 11 and just go, mm -hmm. wait a minute, all these people that I'm friends with, that I have relations with, relationships with online, it's they're not there. It's they're wisps and you're a wisp for somebody else. It kind of makes me feel a little, a little pukey when I think mm -hmm. too much about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, speaking of Marshall McLuhan, am I forthcoming episode on uh, it's a sequel to mirrors? It's, it's, more on mirrors, the symbolism of mirrors. I talk a little bit about the film Videodrome, which is yeah. hugely prophetic movie, has a character, Brian Oblivion, that's, uh, you know, basically modeled on, on McLuhan pretty closely. Mm -hmm. And what you find out is that he, he always appears interviewed on television on a television. Right. So there'd be an interview with a TV on a thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and what you've come to find out is that he's been dead for years. Yes. And they just play tapes and his utterances are so like, you know, like uh, gnomic that it doesn't really matter what question he's responding to. And so I thought that was a really interesting, you know, uh, like he's become this. And then of course, it's TV, but, you know, he's got this like uh, media self that exists beyond death, beyond his like, you know, IRL, you know, meet space self. Yeah, there's something about well, and there's there's something about a ghost presence that he has mm -hmm. that that well, and you know, it, it, we've all there's there's hours of us talking online too. There's an element that you know, if we're you know, if I disappeared tomorrow, there's people who could listen to Art of Darkness for years still, right? And I, yeah, it's it's strange. It's definitely it's definitely strange. Yeah, I'm um, a land, I'm, of, I'm land a, of ghosts. Yeah. It is yeah, the land of ghosts. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm gonna get a QR code on my tombstone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who's gonna maintain that link? I've got a executive I, maintain that link. 
I have good information from some links I clicked on YouTube that we're all going to have to have a QR code in our tombstone. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> oh, <my>. oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, one other thing I wanted to, I mean, we got so many things we can talk about, re, re, you know, relative to Poe. Um, one thing I also wanted to touch on, and, you know, anything that, obviously, anything we've talked about as it comes up here, we, we can go back into. Uh, but I do want to talk about the Raven a little bit. Um, and you mentioned that too. All this is, is something that is of interest to you. Um, I have, so I've been really interested in, um, I'm going to just read a thing. Are you guys familiar with this book, The Book of Symbols by the Toshin Group? Does this ring I a bell for anybody? Heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it actually, sure. I didn't, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't. I didn't know this. Interestingly enough, speaking of True Detective, uh, I got a digital version of this book and then been reading it, and I reference it for, in different things that I'm working on. And then I realized it actually shows up in True Detective One. It's in one of their boxes that of like their case files, right? So, um, but there's an entry on um, there's an entry on Crow slash Raven. And so let me just read this. Really, it, I, I think it's interesting. <clears throat> so this is from the Book of Symbols by the Toshin Group. Quote, we never grasp the full measure of birds. Uh, the tension, their tensions can at times affect us as grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous birds of yore. Poe from the Raven, right? The alchemical stage of the Negrito, after all, was known to the artifacts as the Raven or Raven slash Crow's Head. Depicted by images of a raven perched on the shoulder of a skeleton who stands atop a black sun or of the birds scavenging a field of human corpses, they evoke the mortification and the deepest sense of being reduced to the bare bones of psychological verity. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, hold on. That's, oh, that's why I actually, that's a very interesting vortex kind of thing. I accidentally superimposed a paragraph on top of another paragraph. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Uh, consider the progenitor and shaman raven who brings humans into being uh, by coaxing them out of their shell, steals daylight for them through trickery or by opposing the falcon of night, brings them fire and water, teaches them how to sow seed and to hunt, and then plays with his creatures and occasionally kills and eats them. Just so does the crow, sorry, just so does the crow or raven, um, da, 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 da. oh, this is the part I wanted to get to. This, I think this is interesting. So there's this alchemical component. There's the raven is a, uh, it's the, a part of the alchemical process is literally called the raven's head. But then we also get these other places where the crow or the raven shows up. And one I know, uh, Aldous, is, is an interesting area for you. The Norse god Odin's famous ravens, Hugin and Munin, thought and memory, wander shaman-like through the nine worlds, prying and probing beneath the surface of things in order to bring the hidden truth to the ears of the god. Um yeah, the thought and memory that peck away at our own illusions and pretensions can at times infect us as grimly ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous birds of yore. Okay, so just trying to kind of set up some of the, um, you know, a raven isn't just a raven. Right? A crow isn't yeah. just a crow. Um, what did, um, I'd like to hear, you know, Aldous, your thoughts on the raven as a poem symbolically what what do, what do you make of this thing well i'm really glad you brought all that up it's perfect um because yep. people have actually missed this alchemical stuff in poe but mm -hmm. i actually have a, a couple real quick um anecdotes related to that um well number one uh if you go to patreon.com uh slash symbol pod and you give me three dollars you can be a 
Korax member of my podcast, yes. um, <laughs> and that means Raven. This is the first degree of the uh, Mithraic uh, ancient secret society that uh, has its origin in Persia, but flourished during the time of the Roman Empire, um, kind of at the same time Christianity was rising. Now, I don't mean to, you know, uh, say what you will about the tenets of uh, Mithraism. I'm I'm not necessarily <laughs> like promoting that, but um, it's just a you know it's just a it's a cool esoteric reference. But but mm-hmm. uh, ravens slash crows uh, they do belong to the same family are 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 symbolically birds of initiation. And um, the the anecdote I wanted to mention was that uh, when I interviewed for the job that I have now. I was sitting in the waiting room and they had the, you know, the nice glass table with all the ma- the business themed magazines spread out on it. And they had two little statuettes of black birds, one that was facing one direction and one who's had its head turned around. And so mm-hmm. I, I was like, okay, that's Hugen and Munin because one mm-hmm. is facing forward and one is backwards. That's thought and memory. Memory is backward turning. Um, and the Raven and Poe's Raven is associated with the memory, of course, right? Uh, this is he's haunted by the memory of, of Lenore. Um, and so I, I asked about it. I was like, um, oh, where'd you guys get those? You know, whose idea right. was it to do that? You know, because like, what's the, what's the purpose of doing that, you know, in a business office? Um, nobody has any idea where those came from. I think that they inherited it from when they moved into the office. Um, right. You know, but I got the job. So it was like, I I knew somehow like, okay, I'm going to get hired. Like, this is for me, you know, nobody, nobody would have picked up on that, but me. Right. Right. But yeah, uh, this is the thing. Sometimes those things get kept around, even though nobody knows what they're for, because on some level, you, people recognize it as significant, Right. It's Absolutely. just like, you know, it's just like, I don't know. Right. It's just like, right. It's just like, I don't know why we have that. We've got stuff around our house that I'm like, I'm not sure what that is, but, <laughs> but I, I know it would be weird to get rid of it for some reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, yeah. So it's like the first stage of, of, uh, the alchemical process in terms of the colors there, there's four stages. You've got the Negredo, um, the al- albedo, which is, uh, white, um, the rubido which is red and then i think it's called citrinus or something like that which is yeah. yellow really mm-hmm. really gold the sun so you've got the um turning base matter um, which is a negredo stage into gold uh, ultimately uh i'm sure kevin you're familiar with the tool song black and white are all i see in my infancy red yeah, and yellow absolutely. then came to me lateralis <laughs> baby yeah. let's go yeah uh, yeah. Well, and whoa, whoa this is the the syllables are the Fibonacci sequence. This band is <laughs> blowing my mind, man. Well, that song is about spirals, which is one of Poe's favorite symbols as well. You get the spiral in the uh, descent into the maelstrom. That's a negative spiral, the downward mm-hmm. spiral, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, that, uh, yeah, man, that'd be a great name for an album. The downward yeah, spiral. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, this year's the 30th anniversary of that album. I've been listening oh. to it. It's very mm. much about this stuff. Uh, you know, the spiral is a is a dual symbol. It depends on whether you're going upward or downward, right? Mm-hmm. Positive or negative. Um, and the downward spiral has to do with uh, he the he's giving into his addictions. And his obsessions and he's going into less and less human realms there's like insectoid stuff and then finally like machine you know the literally like the 
turning into a machine is about going down into the mineral level, which is like the bottom of the inferno where people are frozen in lakes of ice because of their sin. Um, all of Dante is uh, this grand spiral. Um, so mm -hmm. one of the most common cosmological symbols anciently is the axis mundi. Axis mundi is a, is a, um, a kind of pole that goes down to the bottom of, of hell and all the way up to heaven. Um, but this is, this is matter and spirit. Um, and if you imagine a spiral around all of that, you get basically the worldview of Dante. Um, he's, he proceeds down into hell through concentric rings and up through concentric rings uh, on the uh, Mount Purgatory and then through various spheres um, of concentric rings into the, the Paradiso. Um, this stuff is in Poe too, but in slightly different way. And we'll maybe cover that in Eureka. Um, but anyway, yeah. So you have to, um, you have to go through the, uh, the, the blackening, the, uh, reduction to base matter or to the, the confrontation with, um, the dark of night, the dark night of the soul, which is the Raven. That's what he experiences there. Um, now in Poe, you, you typically get this, uh, again, black preceding white. Um, for whatever reason, he has the two, you know, um, just the two first, two, two stages of, of the al alchemical process. But so in the descent into the maelstrom, for instance, he uh, notes how, um, how the water turns black. Um, and what happens to him when he escapes the maelstrom is his hair turns white. Mm -hmm. um, it's that old, you know, thing about you, you experience it's something so frightening that your hair turns white. Um, the the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym has this similar black white symbolism yes. where um, yeah. uh, he he they go to Antarctica and find a, a black land, and the people are black, and the people are like not just black; they have like black teeth. Right, um, right. It's like not a, it's not a racial thing the way we think of it. It's like they're they're everything about them is pigmented black right black, and this, black the land itself is black it's like so the land stone. is black yeah very um, uh harkonnen in dune i don't know yeah, if anybody's yeah. seen dune 2 but i yeah. i give it you seen dune 2 brad not yet no spoilers Tomorrow. okay so we we can't give it a double banger yet but mm -hmm. i it's it's a, a single banger at this point pretty good worth it go mm. it's very good and this is coming I, from somebody who had some criticisms about dune 1. i i went on the record Numerous yeah. times going, eh, I prefer the Lynch version. Eh, now I now I understand that I misunderstood what he was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I deeply misunderstood what he was doing. He's doing a Lord of the Rings level thing, but because the story is darker and his vision is rightly darker, uh, you you don't get catharsis from episode one. Mm -hmm. uh, he's doing something that's very, very sly and subversive. And the fact that it's a blockbuster is incredible. Two, one is all set up. Two is all pay payoff. So oh, good. Go. Cool. Okay. Excellent. All right. And, cool. and the Harkonnen, the black teeth. They're, they've got yeah. black teeth. And oh, the black and he, in the first one, he submits into that black sludge, like right? charcoal, yeah. that charcoal bath or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 Oof. Yeah. Cool. Well, now, I, this is good that you you got this on the Pime because I want to talk about Pime because I, to me, this is, I've, I friggin' love this book. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. It's incredible. But let, let's talk a little bit more about this, the symbolism, because 
they get to this black land, and this is after many, many different adventures and misadventures that 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 time has survived through. Um, you know, from cannibalism to pirates to all of this, and then it, it starts to get very, um, you know, sort of speculative and supernatural as they go down into Antarctica. Um, people need to, you know, keep in mind that at the time of the writing of this, we didn't humanity knew almost nothing about Antarctica. It, it was a mysterious land. It wasn't something you could just, you know, I mean, it's obvious. You, you, it's hard to get into that mindset. I mean, we can just go look at pictures of it, right? But at the time, it was just like, yeah, it turns out there's a big, there's a continent down there, right? <laughs> so who and knows? It, it's still kind of another planet. Like if you've it seen is. Herzog's encounters at the end of the world, it, it still is pretty odd. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I pronounced it Pim, but I could be wrong. And oh, I don't really know. Yeah. I, uh, I never really looked it up. I'm just used to that. But yeah. it's a, it's really a, a very much an out of the frying pan into the fire kind of book. Yeah. Um, I I think that uh, he probably didn't have like a real strong idea of what he was where he was going with it at the beginning of it because a lot of the shifts feel. I mean, yeah, a lot of the shifts kind of feel the tonal shifts feel like kind of random. But that's like mm-hmm. it's what makes the book so interesting. Because you're like, okay, this is like one of those um, sea adventure novels where he, we witness a mutiny, you get like them, you know, they're starving at one point and they're on a little boat and then like this ship comes and they think they're being rescued. And as it approaches, like everyone on the ship is just dead. It's just this dead, this ship of dead people that's floating out there. Um, And then, yeah, you get to the, the, you get to Antarctica and you get just like, no hint for like at least three quarters of the book that there's anything that's going to be like weird or supernatural though. Mm-hmm. And suddenly that stuff starts to happen and it starts increasingly to happen to where um, eventually they're like going on a sea that's described as like milky. And, and you had, I think actually in the Poe episode that you guys did, uh, the core episode mentioned like the strange water that they yeah. un- encounter. That's like, uh, it's like different, str- it's like there are different strands of it. that are like different colors and they don't mix. You can yeah. like cut it. It's like right. gummy or something like right. that. Right. Um, so yeah, this is like science fiction, you know? Yeah. He's the fact that it's such an unknown place licenses him to, to kind of make up these things. And he, yeah. So they start sailing on this like milk white sea and there's like a, a there are like lights like Aurora Borealis. There's this great mist, this like wall of mist that arises and then it parts. And then they see a very tall, all white shrouded figure. And then it's like cut the book ends. It's like this, we do, there's no more from here. And then you get the, I'm not sure how plausible this is because did they ever explain like how you got the manuscript? No, it just, yeah. No. So it's like, and then you got like the editor saying, and then the writing stops here and we don't know what happened. Yeah. I think if, if I remember right, I got it in front of me. I think the way that Poe sets it up in the beginning is that he's actually been working with, um, Gordon Pym or Pym to put this together. So I think the Maybe assumption I'm thinking is, of the Pym's cup. That may be what yeah, I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I think Pym is still alive is the, is the conceit. He has survived this. Let me just read that last little, um, sort of journal entry that has to do with this, this, this figure all in white, um, almost, almost to the page. Um, 
Yeah, so just as you're saying, I'm going to read the last uh, two. It's, you know, it's not even a, it's like a third of a page. <clears throat> Quote, a sullen darkness now hovered above us, but from out, the mil- um, from out the milky depths of the ocean, a luminous glare arose and stole up along the bulwarks of the boat. We were nearly overwhelmed by the white ashy shower which settled upon us and upon the canoe, but melted into the water as it fell. The summit of the cataract was utterly lost in the dimness and the distance, yet we were evidently approaching it with a hideous velocity. At intervals, they were visible in it wide, yawning, but momentary rents, and from out these rents, within which was a chaos of flitting and indistinct images, there came rushing and mighty but soundless winds, tearing up the enkindled ocean in their course. And then in the, in the format of this, this is the next day, March 22nd. The darkness had materially increased, relieved only by the glare of the water thrown back from the white curtain before. So they're literally just like going out into whiteness. Um, Many gigantic and pallidly white birds flew continuously now from beyond the veil, and their scream was the eternal tekelili as they retreated from our vision. Hereupon, Nunu, uh, Nunu is a, a, a person that they picked up in this strange Antarctic land. Hereupon, Nunu stirred in the bottom of the boat, but upon touching him, we found his spirit departed. So it literally killed him. The whiteness killed him. He's this completely black figure. The whiteness killed him. Um, And now we rushed into the embraces of the cataract where a chasm threw itself open to receive us. But there arose in our pathway a shrouded human figure, very far larger in its proportions than any dweller among men. And the hue of the skin of the figure was of the perfect whiteness of the snow. And that's how the book ends right there. <laughs> Great ending. Right. It, it is. And, it, you know, there's I think there was some discussion in the biographical material about whether this was sort of intentional or he just sort of ran out of ideas, ran out of time. But I think it ends up landing sort of perfectly Um with this sort of alchemical process that he has set up, right? The black, the black and the white. And, and uh, ultimately they escape the Antarctic land, which is all black by, um, if I remember correctly, sort of placing this white animal in it, this pure white animal. And that is, it's almost like placing a bomb in it. Mm-hmm. It kills a bunch of the native, the, the native, you know, dark black colored peoples down there and sort of allows them to escape. Um, yeah, that, it's fascinating. And- Poe is a master of not giving you too much information. I mean, he's one of the pioneers of the short story, the mm-hmm. very um, brief. Um, I just recently reread The Cask of Amontillado, which I'm sure we're about to talk yeah. about. Yeah. But, you know, it's so good in being able to, like, tell you just enough. Um, and uh, this very novel, by the way, is like, you you get the first example of you know like a sci-fi nerd coming along and ruining it by giving you too much information about what's going on because um jules verne actually wrote a sequel to this jules verne was a big fan of it and and wanted to have like further adventures of but you know i just i I just love the so so it it continues jules verne's continues off of that yeah i haven't read it i don't know what how he does that but yeah he 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 did it Uh, there's some talk about um there's debate about how much Melville was influenced by Poe mm-hmm. and whether Moby Dick comes out of this, especially with the symbolism of the whiteness and things like that. Yeah. 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 I, I think there's gotta be, I think it seems like he almost had to have read it and, and not to, yeah. this does not diminish Moby Dick. I mean, Moby Dick is, is as great of an achievement, literary feat as anybody could ever pull, but everything comes from someplace. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And that speaks to kind of how we started this. Poe is sort of shows up everywhere. Um, if you know how, if you know how to look for him for sure. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, cask of, how do you say it? Amontillado? Amontillado. Amontillado. Yeah. Let's talk I about, assume. let's talk about that a little bit. Cause you, you shared some stuff that sort of like changed my entire perspective on this story. I always, I personally until now thought of it kind of as, and probably unfairly, it's sort of a minor Poe story personally. It's and maybe that's because it's one of the ones you read as a kid and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get mm. it. They wall him up in the thing. Okay, big deal. It's scary. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I totally get it. And I kind of felt that way too. Um, because it's 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 a story about a guy who wants revenge and gets it, right? Mm-hmm. What's what's the what's right. the big deal? Right. I mean, yeah, it's gruesome. Um, so I guess I, I might as well uh, you know, synopsize it, but um, it's first person narrator, which a lot of Poe's stories are, you know, first person narration of some madman who's going to commit a crime. You know, that's one of those. Um, it's uh, a uh, in, it's set in Italy during uh, the festival of, of Carnival. Um, and so you get the the background is of this, the revelry and uh, masks and things like that. And. Um, there's a rivalry between a man named Montresor and a man named Fortunato. And Montresor has uh, declared that he will get revenge on Fortunato for a thousand wounds. But we don't know why. We don't know what made him so offended. It could have been something very minor, something that he made up possibly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, he meets Fortunato. Fortunato is, dr- is very drunk from the festivities. And he baits him into going to try his Amontillado that he just bought that he doesn't is not sure is genuine. Um, and uh, Fortunato, um, you know, but he 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 does the the right thing. He's like, no, you know what? You don't want to you don't want to try it. I'll have this other guy, Lucchese. He he can he can tell me you don't want to go down into my wine cellar. You're, you'll catch your death of cold. And <laughs> and he'll go, no 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 nonsense. Lucchese doesn't know anything. You know, take me down there. And so he, he, he baits him into going down into his uh, wine cellar past his, um, what is literally a crypt full of dead bodies. It's like the family crypt. And um, he chains him to a wall and uh, bricks him up inside the wall and leaves him there to die amid his shrieking. Uh, so yeah, very grim and gruesome and yeah, very simple, but um I think one thing, uh, th- there are many actually, there, there are many significant things that we see and are said along the, along the way here. Um, we are shown many things that I don't think we know entirely the meaning of. Um, b- by the way, the notes that I, I shared with you, mm-hmm. I, I was going to do it. I had been planning a force of symbols on Poe called the Enigmas of Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, I like it. Um, yeah which may happen, but um, yeah, I'm happy to share all that as much as I can here. Um, just because I feel like there, I, I feel like there's, there's more to, to get out of this stuff. Um, but anyway, one thing that happens is um, uh, Fortunato uh, gives a, a Masonic hand gesture, a, a grotesque one. It is said, we don't know what it is actually. Um, and just to see if, uh, uh, Montresor is of the Brotherhood, and he uh, Montresor doesn't recognize it, and so uh, Fortunato says, "Oh, so you're not of the Brotherhood then?" 
And he said, of what? Of the, Ma- of the Masons. You're not a Mason. He's like, oh, yes, Mason. I am a Mason. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, then show me a sign. Mm-hmm. And he pulls from his cloak a, a trowel, like a literal trowel, right? This is literally, so meaning like literally I am a Mason. I'm a Mason, right, right. Right. And so there's an irony here in that um, the members of the Masonic Brotherhood are able to read signs that other people are not able to read. And uh, Montresor is being shown signs that he is unable to read all that basically like uh, it's like a revelation of the method. Montresor is telling him exactly what he's doing without him realizing what he's doing um, with, with the trowel and so on. And so there's like an inversion of Masonic symbolism happening. Um, and uh, as you're saying, we'll, we'll go into some more stuff on like the, the Masonic symbolism yeah. in the after dark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got, we've got some good stuff for uh, patreon.com slash art of dark pod. Also now on Substack at art of dark pod. If you want to be on Substack instead, same deal for both 20 to 30 minutes. We're going to talk a little bit more. One thing that we're going to talk about is the deep Masonic lore symbolism and context of that story specifically. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Uh, Aldous has shared some stuff with us that it's kind of blew my mind, to be honest. So we're talking about that. We'll be going more in depth on that for uh, behind the paywall. Um, I, you know, I one thing I definitely want to get, and and I am glad you have some enthusiasm for this because it's something in the core episode when we were preparing um, to talk Poe. I started brushing up against, and then I was like, it felt like its own little maelstrom that I was going to fall into if I allowed myself, and that is Poe's Eureka. So let's, you know, let's kind of talk about that. I, I mean, in a few sentences, you know, starting a few sentences, what is Eureka? And then we can get more into, you know, what, what he was doing in it. Eureka, um, one of the subtitles, there are two of Eureka is an essay on the material and spiritual universe. So that's what it is. Right. Um, the other subtitle is a prose poem. Okay. So already <laughs> we have a problem. Which is it? Right. Um so Eureka is a cosmogony, a cosmology, and an eschatology. That is how I would put it. Mm. Poe is describing the origin of the universe, the nature of the behavior of its bodies, physical laws. He talks about atoms, planets, stars, um, gravitational and electrical forces. But again, he's including spiritual things as, as a part of this um, and eventually how the universe is going to uh, to come to an end. That's, um, that's really interesting because in my opinion, that is the three components you need to have a religion. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether, you know, forget about whether it's true or not. Just like if you're going to have a religion, it seems like it at least needs to have those three things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Who am I? Where did I come from and where am I going? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, Eureka answers these things. Um, he became very interested in this subject uh, in the years after Virginia died. Mm-hmm. And so this was his last major project. And um, he did say that he wanted it to be <clears throat> Um, known and evaluated as a poem, but he also seemed to be very serious about its claims, too. Um, It it began initially as a lecture that he gave um, on... on, Eureka comes from Archimedes when he discovered the principle of uh, displacement in water, um, and he he was in the tub and said, Eureka, which means I I have found it. And so Mm -hmm. Poe believed that he had discovered um, through 
mere intuition, through mere inner searching and thinking, um, not in an experimental um, empirical science sense or in a um, logical deductive sense. There's a, 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 he had made a discovery through a secret third thing, basically. Um, right. And you might think someone that, who's doing a work of science that way would not do a very good job, but actually it's pretty, pretty close to what physicists tell us now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to give a list of some of the things. Obviously, these are, these are controversial because he doesn't describe them in the, exactly the same way, mm -hmm. but modern 20th century cosmological stuff, um, astrophysics stuff that people have seen in Poe's Eureka. The Big Bang, um, what, what's sometimes referred to as the Big Crunch, where everything um, collapses back in on itself, um, and that's how the universe will end. Um, of course, part of that, the expanding universe, um, extrasolar planets, black holes. Some people have even read his physics back into his prior stories, like the sentence to the maelstrom and have described the maelstrom as being how a black hole behaves. Okay. Um, and you can see that, um, background radiation, um, space time, the idea that time and space are one. He literally says that, um, many worlds theory or the multiverse, um, the idea that was common in the time of there being a physical ether, um, which Poe said does not exist, which scientists conclude also does not exist. Although Poe actually says that there is a spiritual ether. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, atomic fusion, um, he seemed to grasp Rutherford's planetary model of the atom, which is right. in advance of the kind of soupy model of the atom that they had at the time. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you can criticize lots of, aspects of this scientifically but if you're going to back into that time period and looking for a cosmology that looks the most modern and most like ours poe probably comes out on top yeah i think you know for people who don't aren't deeply familiar with the history of science i mean this 1840s this is all stuff uh this is all stuff that has not been articulated or largely even theorized by um by physicists at that time um, you know, I, I'm not sure when, I think it was Immanuel Kant who came up with the idea of the Big Bang, and I don't know what year that was, but certainly a lot, of, there was basically no understanding of radiation or or the mm -hmm. atom uh, in, in, yeah. in, in the 1840s. So to, to be probing along, even to get maybe the details wrong, to be intuitively probing along and coming across even some of the stuff that scientists would later, you know, later start writing on blackboards and, and putting in textbooks is amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, you kind of wonder what, uh, I mean, some of this is probably through his process of ratiocination, right? And, uh, but a lot of it does have to be coming from, from what we might call a vision. Yeah, fair enough. Let me push back just yeah. slightly. I sure. mean, you know, some of these concepts were in the air philosophically mm -hmm. by the right. time, you know, at That's the time, I mean, even the ancient Greeks, um, I was just looking this up in the background, uh, my philosophy degree is flaring up, Brad. Sorry. I'll, no, that's all right. I'll, I'll get some lotion later. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean. Yeah, they have uh, a cream for that now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah thank God. Um, no, but it was uh, Democritus 
had the yeah. idea of you know the atomic and then and then Leibniz was talking about monadology this idea mm. of the anyway I you know yeah I, no you're right you're, yeah we don't want to yeah, we don't want to overstate that rendering it poetically yeah 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 but this is exactly the point I mean I think um Poe's Eureka like it's a problem genre wise because it's too scientific for literary types and it's too it's too poetic for scientific types. And that's why this book has kind of fallen through the cracks. Nobody really reads it, even people who like Poe. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, it, it recalls more than anything else, those ancient um, pre-Socratic thinkers like uh, Democritus or um, Parmenides or um, particularly Empedocles, which some people uh, argue that directly inspired him. He probably did read Empedocles um, because Empedocles had a world... Um, physics that was based on opposing principles of what he called love and strife. They're basically attractive mm. and repulsive principles. And Poe builds everything based on that. Um, he thinks everything came from a, a singularity, which God willed to, to disunite and to spread apart. And there are two forces, one which he associates with gravity and the body. And that's like part, uh, uh, Empedocles is love. And then strife is, is, uh, he associated with electricity and the soul, which is kind of interesting because the soul moves away from uniting with other things, which could be destructive, right? Like you'll lose your individuality, but at the cost of loneliness. Um, mm. And actually lo loneliness is a great theme in Poe, of course. Mm -hmm. um, why would he associate electricity with the soul? Well, other 19th century writers did too, like Mary Shelley, right? Mm -hmm. That's so. true. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. And in well, this now, I'm going to be sort of speaking out of school, but uh, later on, McLuhan tended to have uh, what always struck me as a pretty idiosyncratic understanding of electricity as he equated it with the Holy Spirit, right? I yeah, I mean, he said something that... about the electronic media. Um, I, I don't, uh, I wish I had the exact quote, but yeah, yeah there is something like that in, in McLuhan as well. We'll be doing yeah. McLuhan later this year. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be yeah. interesting. Fascinating. Mm. Are um, we coming up at time? Ahead. We got to do the Patreon, Brad. We got to, we got to plug do. the Patreon. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're that, coming yeah. up on, we're coming up on time. I'm wondering, do you have, Aldous, and if you don't have one close at hand, do we have a good Eureka quote? Just a few sentences or something? I would love to get that. Um, kind of cool. I probably do. Yeah. And if not, if I'll, not, I'll cover while you find it. Will you find yeah. it? I like the idea of the universe being moderated by like a good cop and a bad cop, or like, <laughs> it's almost like a Laurel and Hardy type thing right. at, the, at the core <laughs> of the universe. Very much what we do on the show. We're at pulp and slick. I think we've That's adopted right. yeah, old, as our, old, as old pulp and, old yeah. pulp and slick are going to do a live show in Detroit later this year. Do we have a venue yet, Brad, for the October? Um, we're getting yeah. very close. Okay. I have a, okay. I have a phone call planned for Monday to discuss that with someone. everybody. So, yeah. Stay tuned and Patreon and Substack will get the details first. You want to come. This is going to be like an art of darkness meetup too. We're going to mm -hmm. hang out. So mm -hmm. if you're anywhere near Detroit Rock City, the mm -hmm. Motor City, the mm -hmm. the heart of Jets Pizza. Hey, yeah. there's a Jets hey, Pizza nice, over good here. Call. Hey, there's a Jets yeah. Pizza over here, Brad. Is there hey, really? Yeah, I might have to try it. It looks okay. it looks absolutely disgusting. Yeah, it does. Okay, so it's nothing. Uh, yeah, no, no. I'll try it for the culture. Um, Come on, Aldis. So I do have one very brief. Um, okay, perfect. And it happens to be my favorite two lines of it because. Uh, um, Poe analogizes at one point the creation of the universe to a, a literary creation, but he says that the um, 
um, literary creation because he thinks that things must be organized in the same way that every part of it suggests the whole. And um, but the plots of, of mere human writers like him are imperfect. He says that uh, uh, the universe is a plot of God. God's plots are perfect. Mm, yeah, now I'm pretty biased, but I like that a lot. <laughs> I also like how you can you can take the other sense of plot as a conspiracy as well. So, yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Interesting. Fascinating. Oh, that's great stuff. Well, as we said, we're going to come back for, for Patreon supporters and um, Substack supporters. We're going to come back. We're going to talk another, you know, bit of time, 20 to 30 minutes at least. Um, and we're going to talk more about the, the, the Masonic context of of uh particularly the cask, the cask of Amontillado, um, uh, but also the more general context of masonry historically and in America, which I think is really interesting. And if, if you're, if you're, um, you're hearing this and you're, you're kind of raising your eyebrows and going, what is this conspiracy nonsense? Just hold on. Like, <laughs> um, it's a yeah. real thing. It's a it's real a thing. Totally real yeah. thing. And especially yeah. in the, in the 18th and 19th century. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Um, and then I think, I think we'll have a few other things that we'll kind of pick up along the way, I'm sure. So, uh, mm -hmm. do subscribe and join us there. Of course, when you do that, you get that bonus content that we do for every single episode. You also get access to the book club. Next, we're reading, uh, a, a, a little play called Hamlet. You may have heard of, um, for the book club Yeah, that's <laughs> and watching the Kenneth Branagh. We're uh, going to watch the uh, Branagh inter yeah. interpretation. Yeah, we, we had such a good time at the last book club too. It was so fun. It was great. It was great. Um, and you also will get up periodic watch parties coming up next week we're bringing the great ben thomas on who has joined us for the hp lovecraft and, and other episodes and we're gonna watch uh david lynch's dune we're gonna the watch the definitive we're gonna rendition yeah. of frank herbert's masterpiece right. david lynch's dune the most so exquisite the 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 reason we have the greatest coloring book that's ever been oh, yeah. created yeah yeah, yeah. Dude, if so crypto really, really blows off, I'm ordering a copy. I'm ordering a copy. It's a hundred dollars, untouched. I, I might call. I might color it in myself. Ooh, ooh, bold choice. You get some. You <laughs> get some. You get some traction on Twitter if you did that. Listen, though, oh, I, you know that. That's what I could do is I could color the Dune coloring book and post it once a day. See, nothing matters but the bit, Brad. You got to right. stick to the that's bit. Right. You, you know, you can't confuse people. <laughs> You right, know, right. I'm the I'm the muscle bound philosopher who who uh, slunks eggs and and that's all I post about uh, and that's my entire my entire thing that's all I have in my life. That's and a good I have bit. You should, you should do that one. followers. <laughs> 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 Nothing matters but the bit. I also yeah. thought it would be funny if like the group of like crows like start their kind of like sex cult or crowley sex cult. It could be do with the wilt shall be the whole of the caw. <laughs> oh fun <laughs> i like puns 